So this is where we are in our reading plan. So turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to go through a couple of chapters. And so find your place there, 2 Samuel 11. But then uh, keep your place, head over to Psalm 51. And that's what we're going to read in just uh, a minute as I um, introduce some, or walk through something that we introduced last week. And I want to make sure that we're together on this. And that is... Together in our witness, if you remember last week in the sermon, if you were here, if you listened online, we introduced this thought of together sharing the gospel. How do we do that? Well, we take the names of individuals that God has placed on our heart, and then we share them with other people. And so on the back of your bullets, and you can see the little outline here, identify whom God has placed in your life, and then share this with a group, a Bible study, life group, discipleship group, whoever it might be. So, for instance, this past week uh, in my discipleship group, we had five names, and we prayed for those individuals that, as they're lost, we learned a little bit about them so that we can pray together throughout this week for the next step, which is what? Which is to schedule a time in which you can connect with this person. Now, it might be a family member. It might be a loved one. It might be um, it might be a wife, uh, a husband, a son, a daughter, grandson, granddaughter. It might be someone very, very close to you. But what we're trying to say is there's a specific time in which you're going to connect with that individual for the purposes of taking that next step in their journey. As they move closer and closer, we pray to Jesus. And then that brings us to the last thing, pray and proclaim the gospel. Um, at some point, this is where we're headed, and that is with those who do not know Christ. We want to share the love of Christ, the gospel with them. And so we have some tools that can help you. If you're interested and you say, you know what, I'm not quite sure how to share the gospel. Could you give me a little bit of help? Uh, I would love to do that. And so as soon as the service is done, you go right through these doors here and on the far side at the reach desk there, you can see our reach folks and they can help you. There's an app that you can use. There's some information that we can give you, just simple ways to become familiar enough with sharing the gospel so that this happens over the course of the next few weeks. So keep it up. Keep it up this week in your groups, in your life groups, in your family. Keep praying and then listen to the Holy Spirit as he leads you in the next step. Let me introduce to you Ron Edwards. Ron, come on up here, brother. This is Ron, married to Missy. And Ron and Missy have been a big part of the life of the body of Christ here, a wonderful, wonderful servant of the Lord, someone who loves uh, the people that God has placed under his care in their groups. He served with North Greenville, with the board at North Greenville. And so he's got his hands in different things, but a humble, humble servant. And just we wanted him to read our text for today, which is Psalm 51. If you have your place, verse 10, will you stand with me now? for the reading of the word this morning. Ron, thank you, brother. I'm glad you're here. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ron. May the Lord bless you, and may the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word. This morning you may be seated, and I'm going to take a seat as well as we walk through what is a 
familiar passage, but really a difficult passage because of the nature of it. And really because of where we've been in the life of David, it's kind of shocking. You see, where we've been so far is a couple of weeks ago, God anointed a king and said, this is a guy after my own heart, meaning Saul, who was king, Israel's first king, was rejected because of his heart. So we walked through that and really saw David as having these characteristics, and we see it as we read through the scriptures together, how David really did have a man after God's own heart. He had patient trust and total surrender. He wanted to honor the name of God above every name. And that's what he did, as we saw last week, when he fought the giant, when he fought Goliath. His focus, his perspective was not on the giant. It was the name above the giant. And so as David ascends to the throne, Saul dies. David becomes king. He has the nation in front of him, and he moves the capital there to Jerusalem. He builds up the city of Jerusalem. He defeats his enemies. It seems that God's hand is upon him. There's success in the nation. There's peace. And then we come to chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. And we see what happens to every single one of us. We're vulnerable to sin. We stumble and we fall. And really the question is not, will we sin? And the question might not even be, will we be exposed for our sin, as David was? But how will we respond when we sin? And how do we, on this side of 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, what can we learn from David this morning about sin in our lives? So here's what's at stake, church. Not only you as individuals whom I care for and whom I love and I love your families and not only you personally because of the consequences of sin and where that leads you and the witness that is perhaps darkened or put to the side because of some of the things that you might be struggling with in your life, but also for our church because a church is only as healthy as its members are holy before the Lord. And so this is a pivotal passage. We just don't want to kind of, as we're skipping rocks, just kind of touch on this one and keep, keep going to the, next, to the next chapter and say, oh yeah, David confessed his sin. Yeah, David had trouble. Yeah, we all sinned. But we want to take an honest look at sin and what it means for all of us. So thought number one this morning is this, if you're taking notes. Sin's pathway is marked by Two things. Now, there could be more things, but these things are prominent. Selfish desires and self-protection. This is going to mark David's pathway towards sin, and this is what marks our pathway as well. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. Turn back there. Here's what it says. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. You see, a little hint of the trouble to come because the kings were supposed to go to war. David didn't go to war. He remained in Jerusalem while the soldiers were out fighting for him. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, 
And the woman was very beautiful. Watch the progression here. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam, but she is also the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Verse 4, then David sent messengers to get her. And she came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. Verse 5, the woman then conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now, let's pause right there. Number one, sin. This is what it's marked by, our desires and then our defense. If you had to sum up sin, that might be a good way to do it. Because James says in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says, listen, don't, don't uh, underestimate what's inside of you when it comes to your desires. Each person is tempted, he said, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. What do you want? What, what do you want? David wanted to have sexual relationship with this woman. He, he desired her. He used his power to get what he wanted. And James says, when this desire works itself out, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So I don't know what it is in your heart this morning that maybe God wants to put his finger on when it comes to your sin. And I want to come to you this morning. This is why I'm seated. I want to come to you this morning in a pastoral way, but in a way in which I walk with you through this, because much is at stake. Much is at stake in your marriages. Much is at stake in your, in your homes. Much is at stake in, for God's witness in your workplace. And then this, much is at stake in this church. What is it this morning that if you had to put your finger on it, you would say, that's my desire? It's control. It's control over, over someone in my life. It's control over a situation in my life. It's, it, it's, it's in my workplace. It's a certainty. It's, there's a relationship in which I, I am seeking to maneuver and navigate, and, 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 I, and I'm trying to control that particular situation. Maybe it is sexual in nature. If the statistics are correct, men, if the statistics are correct, there's a a good many of us in this room, men who struggle with pornography and the effects that it has on your family and on your wife and on your children, on your work, there are all kinds of things that we struggle with if we said, yes, Lord, this is, this is where my desire, what I want out of relationship, what I want emotionally, what I want physically, what I want monetarily, what I want career-wise leads me down a pathway where I get into trouble and suddenly I'm in defense mode all of my life. This is what sin does. So we come to verse 6 and, and the second thought is this. Sin's exposure then brings two choices, either to confess or to conceal our sin. So we come to verse 6, and, and it says this, David sent word to Joab. Pause right there. David should have hit pause right there. 
We should hit pause right there. If God is coming to you and he's putting his foot down in your life and has exposed sin in some form or some fashion, he's opened it up. Your defense mechanism, thought number one, your your self-protection mode is to say, you know what? You know what? It's, it's somebody else. It's them. If you catch yourself always in conversation about a weakness, a shortcoming, a sin in your life, if you catch yourself always mentioning somebody else's name or some other event from the past, if only that, if only they, did you see what happened, what they did? Again, if you talk more about them and they than about your own heart before God, you might be in a little bit of trouble. You might be, you might be taking the choice of concealing your sin. Now, this is what David does. David had a chance to get off the highway here. You know how when you're driving down the road and it says rest area, next stop, and you have no water, you need a little food, you got to go to the restroom, and then the next sign says rest area, Next rest area, 84 miles ahead. What are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to pull off. David, pull off. This is, this is where you, you go, whoa. Whew. What have I done? But what does he say? He sends word to Joab. This is the general. Keep reading. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. So they're having this conversation there in the palace. Finally, David gets right to it. He says to Uriah, verse 8, go down to your house and wash your feet. Now, here is what he's urging Uriah to do. This is, this is where David conceals. Letter A under number two. You have a choice. Conceal your sin, confess your sin. Letter A, concealing your sin just pulls you deeper and deeper into the web, into the trap. It pulls you deeper and it does you no good. It does nothing but sink you further and further into slavery. So David calls uh, Uriah, sends for Joab. Hey, send him over from the war. He comes in from the war. He's talking to the king. He's got to be a high honor, right? And David basically cover up number one, says, hey, you, you know what? Why don't you take a break? And why don't you go home to your wife? Why don't, why don't you have sexual relations with your wife? What's he doing? He's covering up his own sin. Notice what Uriah says. <laughs> Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him to help them along. But, but verse 9, but Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all the servants that did not go to his house. In other words, this guy, he's a foreigner. This is what's amazing. David is the man after God's own heart. David is the guy who knows God's law. He writes about it. Psalm 119, he just goes on and on about the law of God. He knows what God has said. But Uriah, the foreigner, the Hittite who has come into Israel, the immigrant, if you will, is the loyal soldier. He is the faithful one to David and to God. Uriah, he says, verse 10, you didn't go home. And he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a campaign? Why didn't you go in to your wife? Uriah says the ark and, and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go into my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. And David's thinking, oh, no. Cover up number one doesn't work. 
We don't have time to read the entire chapter all the way through verse 27, but cover up number two. He tries to get Uriah drunk. He feeds him. He gives him wine. And to, in order to, same thing, Uriah acts nobly. No, I'm going to honor you, king. There's no way I'm going to do this. Cover up number three. David then hatches a plan. It's a pretty ugly plan, but it's effective. He sends a letter from Uriah, gives it to Uriah, to send to Joab the general. Here's what the letter said. Take Uriah and put him at the front where the battle is really, really fierce, and then withdraw, pull back the army so that he can be killed. Joab's like, okay. Joab doesn't follow it perfectly, but he gets close enough to the city. The fighting's fierce enough. Not only Joab, but there are other soldiers that David has under his command, Joab has under his command, who are killed. So here's the consequences of David trying to conceal his sin. Now he has not only ruined an, a woman's life, he's not only stolen her from her husband, but now he has killed him, and now he has killed these innocent soldiers who are serving loyally to him. This isn't getting any better. Cover up number four. The messengers come back to David and said, David, you're not going to believe what happened. Joab sends word to him. Cover up number four. David shrugs it off. Ah, that's what happens in war, isn't it? Men get killed, isn't it? He's totally blind. Then cover up number five. He sends for Bathsheba and says, come be my wife. In the hopes that all of this would be kind of concealed, would be understood, that her husband died, and, and that, that together as husband and wife now they can have this baby. It's an ugly, ugly cover-up, and it just leads to incredible death and destruction. And here's what happens in our minds and in our hearts, okay? Let, let's kind of talk about us for just a second. Here's what we do, because I've been there. I've been there. Here's what we do. When we get caught in this pathway of sin, no matter what it is, we have a heart that is embarrassed, and we have a heart that is guilty, and we have a heart that, that has shame in it because we kind of know this is the wrong thing to do. But then our mind kicks in gear, and our mind and our heart begin to work in concert together. And we begin to find a way, like David did. It's just illustrated here. His mind and his heart begin to work together to cover up what has taken place. And you get very creative and you get very frantic and you get very, very real with trying to deflect and defend yourself. The mind and heart will do this. But then secondly, here's what the mind and heart do when they're running at this pace. And here's where some of you are. The mind and heart run at such a pace where you can, you're able to shut God out completely. You're closed to what he says. You can't see him. You can't hear him. To the point, and I've been here, to the point where you know what God says. You know what the people of God in, are encouraging you to do. You know what the scripture says, but your mind and your heart have worked so hard to create a defense around you that you no longer hear God. And you can come to church and you can know the scriptures. 
And you can in your heart have a sense that this isn't right, but your mind and your heart have created such a defense mechanism around you, and it goes on for so long that now you can take on this spiritual outer shell that knows how to respond religiously, how to respond to your husband or to your wife or to other church members. It's on the outside and you're justifying yourself on your inside. And you live like that for days, for weeks, for months, for years, and you go down a pathway that doesn't end anywhere but in destruction. That's, that's the process we go through. And today's sermon is not to reach down into your heart and twist and turn. It's for the grace of God to come in and attend to your heart and to your mind. And this is the second thing that happens. is this thing displeased the Lord, it says in chapter 11, verse 22. Here's letter B. Here's the other choice, all right? David went down this pathway. We, saw, we see where it got. Here's the other pathway. Letter B, confessing your sin leads you to forgiveness and freedom. Now, here's the path we want to be on this morning. Confessing your sin leads you down the pathway of forgiveness and ultimately freedom. Concealing enslaves you. Concealing your sin equals slavery, somewhere down the line, you'll pay. Confession, it's hard, it's freedom. It's freedom. Look at verse uh, chapter 12. Read the story with me, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David because this displeased him. Pause right there. This morning, here's my prayer for you. This morning that this word about David and Bathsheba this story that's kind of sultry is a word of grace to you. You can see it this way. Hey, Lord, you're speaking to me about my sin, and I don't like this. You're speaking to me about the spiral of slavery and, and being entrapped, and I don't like this. Or you can look at it this way. God could have left David. Go do your thing, David. See where this leaves you. He can look at you, and he can say, okay, keep going. Have at it. And there are consequences. There are. Or God can send his word of forgiveness and mercy and grace to you this morning and you can listen. The Lord sends Nathan to David. Now, Nathan is a prophet. He's a bold guy. He's going to walk into the palace. He's going to tell him this story. Read it with me. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor, and the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, his drink from his cup. He even slept with it. The, the lamb even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Is this how we treat our dogs nowadays? Does anyone recognize that right there? You feed them, they drink with you, they sleep with you. You know how you love your, your, your beloved animal at home. This guy loved this lamb. This is all he had. I mean, it's very tender. It's very, very sweet. Everything to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle 
to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. So being a good host, what does he need to do? He needs to kill an animal, prepare it, and feed it. Instead, what did he do? He took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. That's a sad story. In fact, David is so upset at this story. Look at what he says. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. So David, David is so blind in his concealing his sin. This is where the mind and heart, they've worked together, they've created this shell. He, he, he carries on. He doesn't see the sin because Nathan is talking about him. Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, you're the man. David doesn't see it. In fact, here's how we know we're a little bit too deep in the spiral of sin is that we don't even see our own sin, but we condemn it in other people. David's like, listen, here's the deal. That guy should be executed. You know what? According to the Jewish law, you, you can't execute a guy for doing that. You might want to punch him in the nose, but you can't execute a guy for doing that. He has to restore four times the amount. David's right about that, but you can't execute. You know what you can execute someone for? Adultery and murder. David is so incensed and so angered, and he's so concealed, and he's so trapped in his sin that he's, look at this, I'm a, we're going to go get this guy. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, you're the guy. You've abused your power. You've abused your power. You've destroyed the life of this woman. You've destroyed a man. You've destroyed these soldiers. And because of that, Nathan walks through this list. David, here are the consequences. Your family from this point on, and we're going to read about it, your family from this point on, turmoil. You, you're going to have hostility from your own household. His son, Absalom, rises up against him almost overtakes the throne, chases him out of Jerusalem. You're going to have these wives. David, what you did in private, your wives publicly are going to humiliate you. David, David, there's a price to pay for your sin. Now, here's the hard part of confession is hearing that, of hearing what you've done. But here is the beautiful, beautiful heart of a man that God calls a man after God's own heart. Verse 13, Then David said to Nathan, I have what? I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't say, Nathan, you don't know the pressures of the palace. He, he didn't say, you don't know the women around the palace here. He didn't do that. He didn't say, you know what? You know what? This thing would have been okay if Uriah would have just kind of, if Uriah could have uh, helped me a little bit, partner with me in this. We could have taken care of all of this. No. He said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It's total. It's complete. It is on me, as they say. There's nothing more sweeter to the heart of God that when someone is caught in sin, for them to, to not try and compartmentalize, for them not to add to it, for them not to say because of this, but simply to 
say, it's me. It's me. Is that where you are this morning? Can you say that about what God is kind of pressing in on your heart this morning? It's me. It's not my husband. It's not my wife. It's not my kids. It's not my boss. It's not what happened 10 years ago. It's now. And it's me, Lord. Turn over to Psalm 51. We're going to end here. Because I want you to see what David writes about it. Thought number three this morning. Sin's remedy. Sin's pathway, number one. Number two, sin's exposure. Number three, sin's remedy. What is it? It's the gospel, and this is how we're renewed. Thought number three, sin's remedy and our renewal is the gospel applied to our hearts regularly. Okay, so how do we get from David the king to the gospel? All right, watch what we find here in chapter 51, verse 7. Do you have your place? Ron Lettuce, verses 10 through 13. We're going to end up there in just a second, but I want you to read verse 7. Here's an interesting phrase. Cleanse me with hyssop, he says, and I will be clean. So as David is writing this psalm according to the subtitle there that I have in my Bible, maybe it's in yours, he writes this when the prophet comes to him. So he sits down, he's burdened, he's weighed down, and he writes a prayer of confession, and we get to pray this prayer as well, and it leads us in our confession time. But verse 7, I've always always heard about this, or, or, or thought, what is hyssop? I don't know what hyssop is. Cleanse me with hyssop. Here's what it is. You ready? Looked it up this week. In Leviticus chapter 14, um, the priests have a ritual, and they're to use hyssop, which is a little plant. It's it's got little sprigs, little leaves, little branches on the end of it, and they'd use it to to kind of sprinkle, sprinkle with with this hyssop plant. But in Leviticus chapter 14, the priests were called outside of the camp to minister or to, to check those who are, uh, have leprosy. So these lepers are outside the camp. They're sick. And they're just to remain outside the camp. They're not, they're not let in. Kind of like your kids when they have the flu. You put them in the playroom and you close the door, right? That's what lepers retreat. They're outside. Whenever one would get near, someone would say, they're unclean. They're unclean. Keep them out. So these people are ostracized, but if they suddenly find healing, they got to check with the priest. And so the priest goes out there to outside the camp, and, and he, takes some hyssop, he takes a hyssop plant with him, and he finds two birds. This is the ritual. He finds two birds along with a piece of wood and a scarlet thread, and he kills one of the birds, and it's bleeding. And he takes a bowl, and the blood comes down with the water into this bowl. The bird is laying there dead. He takes the hyssop branch and a piece of wood, and he takes the other bird, the live bird, and he takes the cord, and he straps it around the piece of wood. So you got a bird, a piece of wood, strapped to this hyssop plant. I think we have a picture that gives you a little bit of an indication of what that looks like. The priest then takes the edge of that, of that plant right there and the bird strapped to the piece of wood and he dips it in the blood and he puts it on the leper seven times. Seven times you're clean. You're clean. You're clean. 
you're clean. And that leper, former leper, shaves and he washes and he puts on clean clothes and he goes right back into the camp. So when David says, purge me, purge me with this blood of cleansing, wash me so I'm no longer outside, but I've been accepted, he's pointing to Christ because in that picture, I'm the bird that is strapped to the piece of wood. I'm the one who is supposed to be the one who is dead. But the other bird has died for me so that I could be washed in the blood and then what? Set free. The priest, after he does that ritual, that poor bird, man, that poor bird, up and down, up and down, right? He takes the thread and he's gone. He's free. And this is what Christ has done for us. David, and I don't know how much he knew, but this whole psalm is pointing to Christ and his gospel of the atonement, of the one whose blood would be put to my account so that I could be free and forgiven. And once, here's the beautiful thing, once that leper enters back into the camp and he is clean, there is this incredible freedom now. The priest has said, you're okay. The priest has said, enter in. There's no one who could accuse him anymore. There's no one who could point to him anymore. The priest has, has given me the okay. Christ, through his blood, has given us the okay when we come to him. And now we no longer live in this spiral of, of sin, in this spiral of cover-up, in this spiral uh, of fronts that we put on. Now we say, Yes, that's where I was, but now Christ has made me forgiven and free. Amen? Amen. Is that your story this morning? Whatever that sin is that holds you down, is this your story this morning for those who have never, ever come to faith in Jesus. In other words, you never ever have totally abandoned your sin and yourself and given yourself to Christ. You never have been adopted into the people of God, into the family of God. Do you know this is what Christ has done for you just so you can enter into the family? And once we're in the family, man, we need that gospel forgiveness from the hyssop plant every single day. What about you this morning? And here's what we want to do at the end of our time for our commitment time. We're not going to do what we normally do, which is stand up and sing and have a time of commitment where you could come and we invite you to come. Instead, we're going to stay right where we are, and I'm just going to walk us through Psalm 51, just a couple of passages. And this is a time where you are going to have an opportunity to encounter God. We encounter him as we sing, we encounter him as we give, as we see what he's done in baptism. But this is where at the end of our time, we only have a few minutes every single week. Think about this. Every single week, you've got just a few minutes in the body of Christ where we encounter him and together we can come 
and confess this morning. Our sin. I'm not going to embarrass you. You're not going to, I'm not going to ask you to walk up. I'm not going to ask you to sign anything. None of that. I'm simply going to say, this is your time this morning to come before the living God. Will you pray with me right now? Just bow your head. I'll lead you through this and then we'll be done. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my sin and cleanse me from my sin and iniquity. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me and against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Stop number one during this commitment time. Come before the living God, not in fear, not in shame, not in guilt, but in honesty and just say, here is my sin. Here it is. And against you, Almighty God, against you, I, I, I've sinned. Here's the issue with anger. Here's the issue with control. Here's the issue with my money. Here, here's the issue with my, my addiction. Here's the issue with sexual sins. Here's the, here's the issue with my relational manipulation. Here's the issue with my fear. Just name it. And against you, David said, against you have I sinned. Tell God, God, this is against you. My husband didn't do this to me. My wife didn't do this to me. This is my, my children, my grand. No, no one is more responsible than I am. This is what he said. No one is more responsible than I am before you. Number seven. Stop number two. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Call upon the blood of Christ this morning. What does that mean? Look to the cross and tell the Father, my sin ever before you, will you take it away? Not by looking at me, but look at your son and the blood that he sacrificed for me and wash me. And like the priest who comes out, says, you're clean. You're clean. You're clean. Only through Christ I claim that now. Stop number three. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me and restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressions your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. 
maybe this morning you just want to say, God, God, I'm, I am barren. I am empty. I am dry. There is no joy. There's no sense of, of, of any contentment in anything in my life right now. And it's because, because there's sin there. And as I confess the sin, God, would you restore me? Would you create in me a new heart? Would you open up this heart to not be fearful of the past, but instead to move forward in great freedom? And may in that freedom, in that restoration, as you create a brand new heart and in that renewal, would you give me the freedom to love? Would you give me the freedom to share your love with others? Would you no longer put me away on the side because of my sin, but would you bring me out to a place where you can use me? All for your son, Jesus. Oh, church, listen. There is restoration, there is renewal, there is forgiveness, there is healing through Christ this morning. Cling to him. Cling to him. Call upon him and be forgiven and free. Father, as we go now, as we leave and as we move into our cars and we head to lunch and we go to meetings and we come back this evening for a great worship time with our kids. As we do all of those things, Father, may we leave having encountered you. May we leave having confessed and may we leave having been cleansed this morning and may we live in this freedom and may our hearts be soft and may our hearts be shaped to love others as you have loved us in Christ whose name we pray. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you. Have a great, great week. We'll see you next Sunday.